Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I am your host, Patrick Grimion, otherwise known as Patty G. You are listening to The Patty G Show, where I bring on local guests to talk about their specific business or businesses, as well as the entrepreneurial scene of Baton Rouge and surrounding areas. We also get down and dirty to look at the fine print of their journeys thus far. We share some of the greatest of times that they've had in developing their businesses, but we also take a look at those dark times, those bad times in their businesses where they learn some very invaluable lessons. So if you enjoy learning from business leaders or you want to start helping make an impact in your community, this is the show for you. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the latest episode of The Patty G Show. What's up, everybody? I am Patty G. You are listening to The Patty G Show. Today, I have good friend Kane Lynn, co-founder of Revive, and Revive is the place where you can stream all your music in one place simply by importing your playlist from Spotify, YouTube, mixtapes, it's all right there. Revive connects you to all your favorite streaming applications and puts them alongside their catalogs and mixtapes and also has a back end for the artists themselves. So Kane, uh, tell us a little bit about both the front end and the back end of everything. As a user and as an artist, what are they gonna see first starting with the user? How's it going, guys? Um, so Revive really started whenever, uh, just based out of laziness, right? I, I had SoundCloud, I had Apple Music, I had YouTube, and some of my favorite songs were on SoundCloud, and so I just, I never really got to play them. Uh, I was too lazy to switch back and forth, and that's kind of where the original concept started. Um, so we built a, a nice, simple application where you can create an account, connect your premium streaming service like Apple Music or Spotify, um, and then your library will be automatically imported. So once you do that, you have a, a library on Revive that include, includes your Spotify and it includes YouTube right now. Um, so you have one search bar where you search uh, Drake and it will return the results from both Spotify and from YouTube. Um, so you know throughout the process, we, we talked to a lot of people and, and a lot of those people were artists to, to really understand what the difference is between music that's on Spotify and music that's on YouTube. Um, and a lot of that boils down to the rights involved and whether the, the artists own the beats or whether they think that they're Spotify ready. Um, so using that information, we thought you know, we could really probably help these artists out too. Um, and you know, one of, the, one of the key things that happened is that SoundCloud uh, would not allow us to integrate with their streaming service. So they actually used to, um, but since 2016, they've been restricting new developer access uh, for reasons that are kind of beyond the scope of this. But knowing that, we thought, how do we get around that? And so our solution was to kind of replicate their functionality and allow artists to upload right to Revive. Um, so, you know, we really asked some questions around that and um, decided that we were going to have your premium service, YouTube, and Revive's own artist uploads, as well as many other services that we can add throughout, um, throughout the company. But... Um, we, you know, we really dove into this artist portal deal and we realized that the, the artists that we're catering to, the, the artists that are most abundant on SoundCloud, are really the people who are just getting started trying to find their voice, find their following and, and build a brand. And, and these guys are not businessmen. They're really, they just decided to make music and they didn't maybe realize everything that came along with that. 
And so what that happens is that they're now forced to be entrepreneurs in a sense, and, and maybe that's not what they signed up for. So along the way, they're going to sign up for tons of subscriptions, different services to do things that record labels used to do. And, and we really saw an opportunity to simplify that whole process and make it one easy subscription, one dashboard where they can do the essential services that any artist that's starting their career can do. That's great, man. So it's it makes it easy for them to be discovered as well as potentially generate revenue in the future right. when that happens. Right. And so how... I know a lot of these platforms use ads mm -hmm. or these paid subscriptions to generate revenue for the artist. What does that revenue model look like for Revive? Yeah, so we um, you know, we ran into a pretty major roadblock. Um, it was kind of the first pivot, if you want to say, when we discovered that uh, it was possible to integrate Spotify, integrate YouTube, integrate your own service, etc., except we were bound by the terms of service of all these apps, right? And so... Spotify's terms of service are pretty restrictive, and one of the major things it says is that if you combine with third-party streaming services, you can't commercialize your app without our permission, which they're not going to give us permission. Uh, so that was, that <laughs> You don't was, think Spotify will give Revive uh, permission? Not for a while, at least. Um, so that was a pretty major roadblock, and really is what made us think about this artist uh, portal a lot more. And you know what, re what we realized is that we're, we're already providing artists some, some good value in the form of repeat listeners, repeat fans. So as I mentioned earlier, even if I have a friend or a, a, a underground artist that I like their songs on SoundCloud, I wasn't really willing to take the time to switch to SoundCloud that often to stream their music, which just resulted in less streams for them. And now I'm not as, uh, as good of a fan and I might be less inclined to go to their shows or, or monetize other ways. So that's really the main reason that we realized, you know, artists are probably going to want to be here because it's going to be easier for those fans that they that are willing to take that risk. It's going to be easier for them to listen to it on a steady basis. Um, so knowing that we thought we should really provide them with tools that, that enable them to monetize that fan base that they're going to be able to grow right there on Revive. Um, and that's a, that's a service that we will be able to charge for on our website. So now uh, we have these two separate platforms where on the mobile app, you can stream all your music. And on the, on the artist portal on the web, you can upload songs to be streamed through Revive, as well as a full suite of services such as distribution, marketing, merchandising, uh, a marketplace for collaboration, and the list can go on as we grow. And so we're definitely going to use a, a software as a service model. We're going to be freemium. Artists can start for free, be able to upload their music and host it to where our users can stream it on the app, as well as sell merchandise and access the marketplace with a 20% revenue share. Um, so you know, from there, they can upgrade for $16.99 a month, and that will include distribution tools, which allows them to put their music onto royalty-generating sites like Spotify. That includes social media management tools, um, and it'll allow them to drop their um, revenue share on the merchandise and the marketplace. Um, so, you know, we have some really interesting things that we're able to do through our, our technology partners. So distribution is one of them. We're, we're able to build on top of an existing distribution network, so we're not having to reinvent the wheel there. Um, with merchandise, we have a, a really cool company that I'm um, evangelizing everyone I see, too. It's called Printful. They do on-demand merchandise fulfillment, and it's really a game-changer for anyone that, that is early stage or doesn't have the money for inventory. Um, so, for example, on Revive, if you go to my Shopify website, you can order a shirt. Um, I'm not even going to touch the shirt. It's going to get shipped right to you. It's going to get printed right then and shipped to the end customer. Uh, they're going to charge my card, and Shopify is going to 
deposit the money into my account. So it's very, very passive income. And what that means for independent artists, um, so Printful has an API that we're able to plug into and integrate that into our platform. And what that means is that, that these artists can uh, upload a file, a design, choose a product, and then list their merchandise for sale without having to upload inventory or spend thousands of dollars to order their shirt. They don't have to manually fulfill all the orders and keep boxes in their closet of hundreds of shirts and make sure once a week or every day that they're you know, printing out the shipping labels and going to FedEx. Um, it's all autonomous and, and it allows them to really get over that initial hurdle of, of the inventory problem and just sell merchandise. Um, so that's, that's a big sell for us is that um, most of these people could do it through Printful if they tried, they just haven't seen it. Um, and, you know, even more of them set up an entire Shopify store or Wix store just to sell merchandise, which, you know, Shopify runs you $30 a month. And if you're, if you're making $5 a shirt, you got to be selling for, for the people we're talking about, they have, you know, 15 fans, hundred fans are really just right, getting started. Right. And so that's just, um, you know, they're selling at a loss at that point. So if you're, if you're charging $30 a month for your, your website and the processing, and then on top of that, you have to drop, you know, 500 to $2,000 just to order 50 or a hundred shirts. Uh, it's really, it's really pricing uh, these artists out. And I think that a lot of them would be able to sell merchandise much earlier if they had heard of a company like Printful. So that's one of the services we're able to integrate right into our dashboard. Um, and then the, the other two main services are social media management. So we'll be able to replace, um, you know, Hootsuite or, um, a plethora of other services, Sprout Social, there's a bunch of them. Um, and, and what that'll do is not only let these artists schedule out their social media posts and content, but you know, most of them are still treating their social media like it's personal and, and they don't have a established marketing plan or strategy. And so not only are we going to be able to give them the tools to implement the strategy, but we're able to kind of walk them through the process and really get them in the mode of, you know, you need to be marketing yourself like a business and doing these certain things and, and reading your analytics and not just using it like your Twitter account like you did in high school. Um, and then finally, we'll, we'll have a marketplace. So um, a lot of artists are multifunctional. They do a variety of creative services. And you'd really be surprised what all goes into just, you know, one song. Uh, if, if one rapper wants to rap over a song, he's going to need to buy a beat which is like instrumental to rap on. He's going to need to pay someone to do his cover art. He's going to need to pay someone to mix and master the song, do the audio engineering and make it sound just right. Um, and then if he wants to shoot a music video, he might pay a graphic designer to animate something or he might pay a videographer to video him. And then, you know, that doesn't always come with the video editing and the and that, things of that sort. So, you know, what we discovered is, is there's really this entire underground black market on Twitter where <laughs> these people are listing their services for sale. They're listing their own sales and saying, you know, $20 for a feature today only, or, you know, $10 beats, a hundred dollars for five this week only. And, and they're really transacting everything through Twitter and PayPal. And that's just a really inefficient way to do it. So there's services out there that will allow you to sell beats. Um, you know, there's higher tier like freelance type sites like Upwork, but, you know, the people we're targeting are, are on BeatStars, but that, like I said, that's just for Beats, and they're really too early stage for more of an established player like Upwork. You know, those are more professionals that are charging $200 an hour, and we're talking about um, much cheaper than that. So we're going to build a flexible marketplace where, 
uh, to really just give this whole black market a, a home to where you can list anything you have for sale. And you might be surprised at things that we think will pop up. Like um, these artists might spend $400, $1,000 over the first two years to accumulate a, a home studio. Um, and what they don't realize is that there's there's dozens of artists probably on their in their neighborhood that are looking to do the exact same thing. So uh, what we see happening is people are renting out studio time allowing, you know, other artists to come in and charge them 20 bucks an hour, which is just, you know, these artists aren't making a lot of money. So any stream of income helps. Um, so they can rent out studio time. They can pay for features. They could um, pay for songwriting, you know, instrumentals. There, there's a whole plethora of things. And so we want to make sure we build a marketplace uh, that offers them the flexibility to, to buy and sell anything. And so, as I mentioned, these, these artists have begun to, you know, navigate away from the traditional record label model where record labels are definitely still relevant. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you can progress much, much farther in your career without needing the services. Whereas, you know, you literally could not sell CDs in Walmart if you didn't have a record label or someone to distribute that music. Nowadays with digital technologies, um, there's software that'll allow you to do mostly everything that the record team will do other than have a, a full team of people to help you market. And push it and obviously the big the big draw there is the funding right the record labels will write you in advance and they'll pay for the production and they'll really push it with their marketing uh power so that's that's the what they have to offer but um you know for the first year to five years of your career you're really you know doing everything yourself you're out there hustling and learning as you go for the most part. And so we think by bringing everything into one platform, we're going to provide a lot of, a lot of value to these artists, save them time, save them money, um, and hopefully grow an, a nice community, both of users that they can uh, stream their music to, as well as other artists they can collaborate with. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be huge. You're almost like a business manager for these artists. Yeah. You know, they, like you said, they've got no experience on the business side of things. They may have, you know, their great the great lyrics in their head and what they're going to, and what they're going to drop, but it's not that they know how to do that or right. where to do that. And that having that integration where they can pay that fee and it'll start going to other platforms mm -hmm. as well. I think that's, you know, that's going to be huge, man. And having, yeah. I know for one, you only have those small artists, like you said, on SoundCloud or individual platforms. They're not to Spotify or YouTube yet. And having that in one place is great. Cause now the listener can, you know, listen to the, the biggest artists that they want to, but then also support those lower guys as well that right. are just getting started. So the, there's a big problem with finding these little guys on Spotify, um, but there's an even bigger problem whenever you consider that you know Spotify has 40 million songs, and you know my numbers might be shady here, but something like 90% of streams go to the top 10% of people. You know some some crazy stat like that. So not only on Spotify do they have this problem, but when you consider all of those users may not be searching on SoundCloud, right? Or they're, they're not even going over there. Um, so we, we think that by giving them this platform for fans, we're going to reel them in. And then we really want to just do everything we can to help them succeed and monetize that following that they that they generated. Um, and, you know, bringing everything into one place, not it doesn't just save you time and, and hassle, but, you know, things fall through the cracks whenever you're juggling a couple of different websites. You might forget to check one for a couple of days. Uh, but really, you know, we're able to use bundle pricing. So every subscription they pay has the customer acquisition cost baked in. And whenever you're paying seven or eight, that means that they're they're paying for their own acquisition seven or eight times over. And that allows us to really be uh, competitive whenever it comes to, to pricing. 
but but not only that um we we see a lot of you know data silos so there there's different problems that um people that aren't in the industry might not even realize ever happen but things like selling your beats on one site and distributing your music on another causes all kind of data transfer issues where you know we're going to be able to track and and provide analytics on a lot of additional things that other companies simply can't do because they don't have the data. Um, so that's one thing. And, and really, you know, debatably the biggest thing that we have to offer is this educational piece. So these artists are, like I said, doing everything themselves. They're, they're out on Google. They're watching YouTube videos. They're learning how to mix their first song, how to make their first beat, how to, you know, what studio equipment to buy. And then when it comes to the business side of things, they're doing the exact same thing. And what that what that ends up doing is that they're thinking of one thing at a time, right? So whenever it's time to promote a track, they're promoting that track and they might not even learn about promoting an event until they get their first event when, um, you know, by having everything together and really consolidating it all, it gives us the opportunity to make sure they're looking at the big picture and make sure that their marketing fits in with their release strategy and it fits in with their um you know, merchandise strategy and, and really educate them on the, on the entire picture, which we think is not happening right now. So, you know, content marketing is no secret. Every company's doing it. All of our competitors are doing it. Uh, but what we see happening is that DistroKid, who's the leading uh, music distribution company, all of their content is about distribution. And so, you know, BeatStars, which is the leading, you know, beat or instrumental marketplace, all of their uh, content is centered around selling beats. And so we see this disconnect between, you know, what if you're selling beats and distributing and what if there's something that's missing if you look at them both together. And that's a very simplified example. Whenever you talk about integrating four or five different services, um, we, we really think that we can provide a holistic view, not just from the dashboard and services, but really from that education piece, which um, if we can, if we can get them to think about, you know, think about marketing or copyrights or, or booking and merchandise way earlier, then maybe uh, maybe their entire strategy will be better. Maybe they have a higher chance of succeeding. Right. You can kind of boost them to that next level a lot quicker where mm -hmm. if they had to do all the research on their own, it may take them you know several months or even years to get to a certain level. But if you've got all that on their dashboard ready, readily accessible for them, they can go from you know day one knowing nothing to a week later being able to know everything and basically move a lot faster. Yeah, we, we like to use Shopify as a pretty good example because, um, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, e-commerce, um, e-commerce entrepreneurs were going through the same thing where they had to use an accounting software, a fulfillment company, a, a, you know, a manufacturer, a website hosting company, a domain company, a tax company. And they had seven or eight different things where Shopify came in and now... If you wanted to start an e-commerce site, you could probably have it up and running within 30 minutes with products on there, uh, everything, just 30 oh, yeah. bucks a month. And if you look at the Shopify dashboard, you can go to your different channels, you can go to your distribution, your marketing, uh, your customer base, you can send emails, you can do your blog for content marketing. Uh, and really, you know, not that you, you should, but if you want to run an e-commerce site, you could do the entire thing through Shopify. And that's kind of our vision is that we want these artists to be able to start um, continue and expand and finish their career all through Revive without having to go and find these external services, whether that's through our own dashboard and features or through integrations like Shopify or anything like that.
Um, so that's kind of the vision. But I wanted to, to touch on something you mentioned earlier. So like, like a business manager. Um, so there are companies that are doing things like this and they're marketing it as record label software, right? right. You run your record label. Um, and it's interesting because maybe they, maybe they're doing okay, but these, what I guess what they're missing, what I think they're missing is that, you know, an independent artist has to do all of the functions of an independent record label. That's, that's kind of inherently the case because someone has to do it, right? The, right. the functions are the same whether artist is doing it the managers doing it the independent record labels doing it the major record labels doing it um and so what we've noticed is that this zero to four year artist is is being ignored for the most part right this diy stage is what i call it where they are still you know if they want to to this to be their career they want to make it in the music business they still need to do the marketing and the distribution and the merchandising and the uh, networking to get the promotions and, and everything that goes into it um, it's just they're doing it themselves, right? And, you know, most aren't even lucky enough to make it to that next stage where maybe they have a manager who takes over some of those tasks. And, and very few are able to make it past that where a record label or a team uh, takes over these tasks. And so what we're, we're hoping for for Revive is we're definitely targeting uh, the people who are doing it themselves. But there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to grow with Revive. And as soon as you have a manager, delegate to your manager. And if you guys want to start your own record label, there's no reason that the same software can't be used to run a record label, just like these other companies are selling it as. Um, but, but what we're doing is we're designing it to be simple, easy to use for these, you know, beginners and, and growing it from there to where as, you know, the example I like to use is SoundCloud. SoundCloud was the launching pad for, you know, half of the major players in the music industry today. Chance the Rapper, the most notable example. And, what they did is they outgrew the platform. SoundCloud gave them the, the launching pad, and at some point they had to use, they had to build their own team, they had to find their own resources, and they had they outgrew the platform. Um, and so what I propose is that we should be able to grow with our artists and expand our features to where it once we have you know the SoundCloud rappers, once we have the Revive rapper generation, they should still be using Revive the same way. And whether it's them or their team all the of the essential functions. We should still be selling their merchandise and we should still be distributing their music and we should still be helping them run their marketing. And so that's really where I see, you know, our potential is that at the time SoundCloud wasn't focused on artists. You know, they claim their artists first and that's really where they lost a lot of people is, you know, if if they would have had my mindset or if they would have my idea or, you know, maybe Maybe at the time of SoundCloud, it wasn't the right time in the market. So maybe that's too big to say. But if they would have done something like I'm doing rather than, um, so I'm sorry, I'm making a lot of uh, assumptions <laughs> here, right? SoundCloud decided to monetize their platform with ads, which wasn't working that effectively. And so what they did was they went and licensed uh, major record label music to create a streaming platform to compete with Spotify and Apple Music. And at that point, they they neglected their most valuable asset, their, you know, dozens of millions of creators that were unique to SoundCloud and only had music on SoundCloud, and that was their entire business. And so that community of creators felt like they turned their back on them. Um, but not only that, they missed a huge opportunity to build out services for these and monetize through there to where, you know, the example I used to say is what if SoundCloud had 20% of Lil Yachty, Chance the Rapper, Migos, Lil Uzi, 
and the list goes on. What if what if uh, SoundCloud had had went the direction we're taking, um, and and done something like that where they got twenty percent of all the revenue? We're not taking twenty percent of all revenue, but it's just a, a thought, right, 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 thought experiment. Yeah, and it's like you said, they may have been too early to the party mm-hmm. in that in that specific scenario, right? But um, so moving moving down, what? You're starting up Revive and you're kind of in that startup grind, you know, that mm-hmm. startup hustle. Like we were talking before, it just never stops and never stops. Yeah. What, what is that startup like, that startup process like also while being an LSU student or being a student in a university? What, what are some of the sacrifices you've had to make and what are some of the struggles you've gone through with starting this whole company? Yeah, the, the easy answer is grades, right, <laughs> from the sacrifice perspective. Um, you know, me and Riley joke about it all the time is that it feels like we haven't done school this entire semester and the semester's over. Um, that being said, this semester has been unlike any other um, from a Revive standpoint. So I've been, I started Revive Christmas break in 2017. So I've had, this is my fifth semester with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the first four I was absolutely um, prioritizing school higher. Uh, I was... I was making sure to, you know, the first time I ever got asked this question, what I said was not what I do, but what I said was, you know, planning, right? Um, you never know what's going to sneak up on you with Revive. You never know when that advisor is going to call you back and say, I can go eat you right now. You never know when, um, you know, everything's going to hit the fan and, and the world's going to set on fire and all of that. But with school, you do, right? With school, you know, you got your syllabus, you got your, your test schedule, you pretty much know when everything's due. And so, you know, at that point, it's just on you. It's just on you to stay ahead to where, you know, if you didn't stay ahead and your test is on Monday and that advisor calls it on Sunday when you're cramming and you have to make that decision between the company or the business or school, um, you know, that's your fault. Whereas if you would have just studied ahead of time, um, you would have had that free time and that flexibility. But like I said, that um, is easier said than done. Now that's Absolutely not how it is, you know, goes in real life all the time. Um, but it's been a struggle. You know, we, one of the big things that helped us was, um, you know, Kenny Anderson was has been a big help the whole time. And he used to be out at Innovation Park. So he moved to the BC now. Okay. So he's now the head of the Entrepreneurship Institute at the BC. And what that's done is not only moved our meetings with him to the BC, but you know, he's doing some really good things trying to free up the space and, and bring everything more on campus, whereas uh, Innovation Park's about three or four miles away. So it's not, you know, crazy out of the way or anything, but whenever you have classes with an hour gap and it takes 20 minutes round trip, you know, it kind of makes that out of the equation. So really what that's done is allowed us to move a lot of our work on campus. Uh, we're in the ideation lab every day. You know, people are seeing us there. He's mentioned the possibility of maybe getting even more official, maybe even a cubicle or something up there. And really that helps a lot because then, whereas it was really tempting to skip, to skip class and stay out at the office or skip class or go to your first class and go to the office and skip your second one. Uh, but what that's done is allowed us to, you know, stay on campus and just leave for 45 minutes for class and come back. Uh, not as big of a deal, uh, you know, but the, the hard truth is that it's just not easy. It's just a, a grind, and you just have to figure it out. Um, and we we kind of treat it day by day. Uh, like I said, the correct answer is planning, but the reality is it, it doesn't go like that. Um, I might fail my first class this semester. Really? And it is online CMST. Wow. Which might be the easiest class at LSU. 
And that's something that, um, you know, I'm not proud of, obviously, but it's a, it's a direct result of kind of the way I look at things and my, my priorities, which I'm not saying should be everyone's priorities by any means. Um, but it's just because it had a lot of busy work and I, I have a, a kind of mindset where uh, I look at everything kind of from economics, a, a opportunity cost standpoint. And whenever you overload me with busy work that I'm not learning anything, I'm keen to do revive where I definitely feel like I'm learning every day. Right. Um, so, you know, that's not for all my young entrepreneurs out there. That's not advice. That's just the reality. And so the advice would be, you know, like I said, stay ahead and, and really just, you know, I, I did everything right for the first three and a half years to where, you know, I have repeat and delete left. It's not going to, it's not going to kill me. You know, I have a good GPA, you know, B's or high C's this semester aren't going to kill me. Right. And that's where, uh, you know, my proactiveness earlier helped me. Um, but really the, the answer being, um, you know, I try to make them overlap as much as possible. So I take a lot of entrepreneurship classes. Those are nice because I can pretty much work on revive and class at the same time. And so that, you know, scheduling, scheduling is a huge, uh, huge part of how effectively you're going to be able to manage both things. So, uh, for four semesters now, I've been able to schedule almost exclusively on Tuesday, Thursdays. Uh, minus a three-hour block class on Monday, Wednesday night, every now and then. But what that allows me to do is have Monday, Wednesday, Fridays dedicated to revive. Um, it allows me to have Tuesday, Thursdays for school. This semester, Tuesday, Thursday morning, so it's even better. Yeah. Um, and what that allows you to do is really use your time more effectively because uh, the least the least efficient you can be is whenever you work on revive for 30 minutes and one school project for 40 and then revive again and then another school project and your mind's just all over the place. So really... Uh, batching your task in, in that manner helps a lot. And then, you know, I, I lose so much time. And like I said, just now switching tasks, but also switching places and travel and, you know, lunch and all of those things just add up so much and seems to just eat away at my available time. Right. And having having that idea, ideation lab at LSU sounds yeah. like that's something that's been beneficial right. to not only you, but I'm sure to other entrepreneurs Absolutely. at LSU. Absolutely. And so with the degree program, are you in the major or are you the minor? Major. Okay. So you've got your, or do they still have the paired degree option yeah. that you're trying to yeah, do? Yeah, I'm paired okay. degree. I'm entrepreneurship and finance. Okay. That's actually a really good, really good uh, combination. I did accounting and entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I see it, yeah. but it goes both ways. It's smart to have that money side and the entrepreneurship side. So for the classes, have they been open to you literally doing your business and getting credit for it? I know they have the... Yeah, um, that's something that I've been very vocal about. Yes and no is the answer. So it's getting way better. Like I said, uh, Kenny's doing great things. The Kenny's in the... So the way they have set it up is this is Stevenson entrepreneurship department and the Stevenson Entrepreneurship Institute. So the way that's supposed to work is that the department's academic and the institute's kind of outreach or you know extracurricular. And do they, they have the ide ideation lab within the institute or um, is it within the department as well or is it a whole standalone? I couldn't tell you. It's okay. uh it's just really it's just a building in the BC that I think the entrepreneurship department lays claim to. Uh, <laughs> okay. And so they've been trying to figure out what they're doing for that with with that for a couple of years now and it's really just now starting uh, to make some progress. They got a tiger card reader, so now you'll be able to, you know, if you have a business, put your tiger card in there and swipe in. Whereas for the last two years, I've had to beg people to unlock it for me every day. And so like me and Riley meet on the third floor of the BC at a table. And then once someone gets there at eight or eight thirty or nine, then we could go in there. Okay. Um, but 
you know, at five, if I if I went back right now, everyone's gone. I can't do that. Okay. And so it's getting better, but as far as the, the degree program in class, you know, I've been very vocal. And like I said, whenever I started it, um, I think it might have been my sophomore year. I think it was the first year ever. If not, it was the freshman year. Yeah. Then sophomore was... year, which was uh, 2017, was the first year ever. Yep. And so they're really, they're really figuring it out. And it's been interesting because I feel like I'm a case study. I feel like I'm, the, I'm one of the few people who, you know, I came up with my idea in Entrepreneurship 2000, which is Innovation and Creativity. I walked it through all the other classes, all of the other programs they have to offer, the Venture Challenge, you know, Innovation Park. I've, I've really um, tested the entire ecosystem. And so I think that they're, they realize that and they're listening to me at some point. And that's one of the things that I have mentioned is that, you know, it's frustrating to stop working on my business to go work on class, right. uh, especially whenever the class sometimes feels like a step back. Um, not always, but... Uh, I've been a victim. So since I was a, since I was so early on, I've been a victim of the class rearranging, right? So they're, they've been figuring out this curriculum. One of the big things they're worried about is teaching the same stuff a bunch of times, having the same classes with different numbers. And that was a problem. And they're really, you know, they're fixing it. It's, it's a work in progress, but it's been noticeably improvement. Like I said, I, a, a side effect was that of that was that I have been having to take the same classes a couple of times. Uh, I took Entrepreneurship 3111, which is a business plan class, or my first business plan helped tremendously, and now I have to take Entrepreneurship 4040 business plan class again because they changed it, and it's required for the degree. Um, but like I said, I I'm completely understand that, um, and while while I'm not able to like you know work for Revive like I normally would and just turn it in and say, give me an A, I definitely have used Revive in... 80 or 90 percent of my entrepreneurship classes as my project or as my case study or as my um you know work and so what that means is it might not be doing what i want to do or i think is necessary but it's definitely still preparing me it's definitely still giving me good insight um so for example next semester i'm gonna have to write a business plan the business plan is gonna be on revive and i already have a business plan so i'm not excited about that but i need to rewrite it I need to re-update it. Right. Well, you because you've pivoted, you've yeah. changed, you know, and, and your so, your business plan may not be look anything like the first business plan you wrote. Right. And so that's where um, that's where I'm saying it's not necessarily just my day to day tasks that I'm getting credit for, but it is uh, I am able to work on Revive, and you know I'm I'm in the in the know with the the leadership, and I, I've given them my opinions, and they're definitely working towards you know making it this flowchart where, like I said, you should have an idea in uh, innovation and creativity, which teaches you ideation techniques and how to what to look for and things like that. And then you should test it in, in Andy Moss's customer development class. Go out and talk to people and make sure that they're actually having the problem that you think that you've seen. And then once you have that and you're sure of what to do, write the business plan on it. And then once you write the business plan, you know, take the, uh, the mobile app development for entrepreneurs and things like that where you build it. And so they're, they're really working on that kind of flow chart to make sure that it's, it's natural and it makes sense. And that's where, um, you know, they're definitely improving. The, the ecosystem's getting better. So like I said, the, the Institute uh, for my entire career has done nothing. Or I had no idea what it is. I didn't even know what it existed. And we're definitely seeing the, the benefits there. So essentially what's happening is it used to be run by academics, which are just, you know, teachers. And teachers' jobs are to teach and to research, and it's not really to go and organize Startup Weekend, the Venture Challenge, uh, 
brew and all of these community outreach things that are like crucial to the ecosystem were just kind of getting neglected because um, you know of the the scope of the people running them was that wasn't their primary job. So what what bringing Kenny in has really done is has given a um, outreach person the full reins on the outreach program, and so we've already noticed a, a huge increase in that. Um, and like I said, just having them in the BC to where you know used to if you had a business and you were able to figure out who to talk to, they might have pointed you to Kenny at Innovation Park and you had to drive 15 minutes. Whereas now you can literally walk up to the third floor of the BC and, and talk to him about it and get some advice. Uh, and not just that, you know, he, he's hiring people. He's got a, a great girl named Carly under him, and she's just doing wonders in regards to, I was, you know, been out there with him in Free Speech Alley, handing out stuff about entrepreneurship class. Um, we've done table sits. We've just, and this has all been, you know, in the last two or three months that all of this has happened. So we're definitely seeing that that change that I'm talking about, and it, it's coming. It, that's, it's getting better. That's awesome. So you, you, you touched on brew. Uh, and for those listening, Brew is Baton Rouge Entrepreneurship Week that's going on this week. Mm-hmm. And so tell me, I know last night you were there for the exhibitors mm-hmm. event, so you probably had your own table and everything right. as uh, your social media was blowing up. It was great. <laughs> so what was that helpful? Um, this year, it was, it was absolutely helpful. Last year, I went to Brew and I had mixed feelings. You know, I went all three days and I really felt like you know, one one hour session where they talked about term sheets was really the only kind of education I got out of it. Other than, you know, I really love hearing successful people talk. They had uh, Chris Moe talk. They had, he's the founder of Waiter. They had some other, you know, nice entrepreneurs talk. So like tomorrow they have Brandon Landry who founded Walk-Ons and that's always exciting, but I didn't really feel like I had that many takeaways. Um, but this year, uh, not just because of the, the way it's been organized, it was organized better, but really I took that experience and learned from it and, and was able to use my time more effectively. Whereas, you know, we're a consumer product, we're marketing towards 15 to 24 year olds, and that's not really the crowd at Brew. Um, the point of Brew is to network, to, to meet, you know, investors, advisors, fellow entrepreneurs, and people in the ecosystem that can help you, whether it's, you know, like I said, mentoring, whether it's giving you money, whether it's giving you advice, whether it's, uh, you know, other products or services that you might get a discount because you met them at Brew. And, and so this time what I was able to do is really use last year where I stood there and tried to get signups for my app from, from 50 year old people that were, you know, twice my target age. What I was able to do was just kind of leave my station a little bit and go network and really, you know, I went in with an idea of four or five people I needed to talk to and I needed to meet. And it was, it was exponentially more beneficial to me. Uh, you know, this, that was yesterday. So, you know, I probably met two or three mentors. I met, um, you know, somebody that's in the music industry. I met a product designing company that, that will probably at least give me some consulting, uh, if not more. And using that, you know, I sat down this morning and reached out to everybody I met and, and already have just built relationships and connections that are going to bring me, uh, way farther than any amount of signups I would have gotten yesterday would have been. Um, so that was really the mindset change. Uh, that being said, I didn't go today. Uh, I talked to some of the people that were running it and I knew what they were doing. Today was more like a workshop and just, you know, Andy Moss uh, and Kenny Anderson ran the whole workshop. And since I've been working with them for two years, they, they kind of told me that I've done most of the things that were in it. And so that's why I didn't go today, but I, I heard it went really well. 
Um, it was a lot more hands-on. And tomorrow, they're at, it's at the River Center. They have a whole slew of uh, panels and, and speeches. And I really like, like I said, I really like hearing those, but also there's going to be some great people in the room to do some networking. So uh, the biggest takeaway for me was just kind of that mindset change to really use it as a networking event because I think um, it's <coughs> it's transforming a little bit. It's working towards, you know, like I said, a workshop. It's working towards a um, showcase. But at, right now, the main value that it brought to me was just having, uh, you know, pretty much the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem from angel investors, venture capitalists, advisors, lawyers, fellow entrepreneurs, the, you know, people like Nexus LA, Innovation Catalyst, um, the Entrepreneurship Institute, and having everybody under one roof is really a great opportunity to go and show your face. And it was, it was awesome for me because it was my second year there. So there were some people that recognized me, you know, and, and just being able to show progress and, and that's always good. So that was, it was uplifting and I met some really great mentors. Um, one of the guys I reached out to, replied today with an email that he sent an investor and it had everything from a term sheet to a cap table to wow. his metrics to um it, was, it had six attachments on it. so it was a bunch of information he didn't didn't even white out anything and you know my what i would say my biggest problem right now is really that feeling like i'm doing the right thing or the realistic thing um you know with projections and valuations and everything so hypothetical and, and wishy-washy that just seeing those metrics and seeing someone who just raised, you know, in excess of $3 million with his slide deck, his pitch, his term sheets, all of that, you know, really will ground me and help me, uh, you know, make sure I'm, I'm heading down the right path at, at the minimum. That's great, man. So I want to, I want to go back to the venture challenge. You kind of touched on it, but I know, uh, looking back up, you, it, I think you won what twelve thousand from the challenge. Mm -hmm. Twelve thousand. So what what was that process like of you know a applying for the venture challenge, and then kind of what did they do to help you get ready? What did they do to help you prepare your pitch? And was it really was it really beneficial? And kind of how were they with the reins on that money they gave you? Were yeah. they you know were they very directional like oh you have to spend it for what you said in your business plan? Or were they more along the lines of, look, here's your check. It's yours, free and clear. Do what you need to do with it. We're not going to check up and make sure you yeah. spend it the way you said. Yeah, the Venture Challenge, it's a great program. Um, it was one of the most exciting things whenever I heard about it because, like I said, in the in the entrepreneurship curriculum, you have to write a business plan. So really what they encourage everyone is just to write the business plan and submit it. And you might win $25,000. Um, and so we, this year was my second Venture Challenge. The first one, it was, like I said, I... My first semester, which was um, August of 2017, is when I really kind of put everything together and decided what Revive was going to be. And that Christmas break kind of set out to start. And so the following semester uh, in early 2018, I was in the business plan class and I was, you know, fully developing the idea and writing my business plan and able, and at the time I was kind of teaching myself to code, um, you know, I didn't know what that was like and, and while I, I ended up bringing on a technical co-founder, uh, that six-month period, I can't imagine where I'd be today trying to follow my co-founder's words if I hadn't done that. So that was really beneficial. But that's off topic. Um, the Venture Challenge, I, I submitted my business plan to the Venture Challenge, and we got second runner-up. So how that what that means is there's three finalists that get to pitch for a chance at money, and we were the second person after that. So it was really fifth place. Um but like I said, at this point, it was totally an idea. There was no product, no users, no marketing, no social media accounts, uh, 
It was nothing more than an idea and a business plan. And so, you know, what that did for me was, was intangible. You can't even um, describe how motivating that was. You know, it, it allowed me to really uh, put forth a lot of effort the next summer. Um, you know, I avoided getting an internship and put a lot of effort into Revive over that summer just because uh, it was validating. It, it told me that these people at least see the potential in this idea with nothing else other than the idea. And so that was really great. And over the next, you know, that was in April. So over the next eight months, we made a lot of progress, including bringing Riley on in August of 2018. And we started building. And by January, we were on our third model, uh, not including my original version. It's really our fourth version of the app that we completely restarted four times. Wow. Um, but come January, we, we started working on, we can't remember the exact date, January or February, we started working on the version that we have now that we're beta testing right now and really started picking up some steam. And, and, you know, we knew we had to win the venture challenge. So that was our mindset. We thought it was ours to take. Um, you know, like I said, we're very involved with the department, with the ecosystem. And we kind of had at least a feeling of everyone else who was doing stuff. And we just knew that we had to win, right? We, that was our mindset. And we put a uncountable amount of hours into this business plan and really, um, you know, stayed up all night, th three different nights. And the last night when we walked out, we just knew we were like, there's no way that business plan is going to win. Right. And so that was really the first time that me and Riley had like came together and just grinded like that. And, and that was, you know, side effect of the venture challenge, but that was a, a total bonding experience. Like I said, we probably worked a hundred hours for two weeks straight working on it. Um, we, we put the entire business plan through graphic design software to make it look pretty um, and really just, you know, flushed out so many ideas for our business and, and wording and messaging design uh, and really came together. So then, you know, three days later, we get the email that we were selected as a finalist, which means we have to do it all again for the next two weeks to make the pitch. Um, and that was really interesting, too. Um but, you know, long story short, we, uh, you know, we came together, we made it happen. We, we found a skill we didn't even know we had. So, you know, one of the, one of the things we knew is that the other two companies, one of them had a patent pending and one of them had revenue and we had half of an app. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was something that we learned really off the bat was like, how can we impress these people? How can we, you know, how can we seem more professional than we are or, you know, every investor is looking for management experience or management expertise. And we were two college kids with a limited internship experience and no entrepreneurship experience and no music industry experience. So there's like no reason that we should be the right people for this uh, company. And so what we were, what we attempted to do was to change that narrative, right? To make it seem like we knew what we were doing. Fake it till we make it. Um, one of the big takeaways was our, our presentation. We put a ton of time into it. We found some of these, some interesting apps that allowed us to, you know, make product demo videos and we integrated them all into our PowerPoint to where we got out there and our, our, everyone else had a, a typical PowerPoint and ours was videos embedded and everything was moving and the animations were crazy. Um, and then we packed the house. We brought 40 people and gave them Revive shirts and, and made it seem like it was a real thing, right? And uh, we ended up winning, but I think the, the main takeaway is that, you know, it just got us thinking in so many different ways. Um, 
And all, all of that that I've set up to this point is just a side effect. Like I said, it's just a process of doing it. Right. Um, but more than that, you know, winning it was huge. That that money was huge. They they gave us a big check. We got to take pictures of that. And, you know, they gave us a check. Uh, there was no strings attached. I was, I was kind of, I had heard in the past that that wasn't the case, but we got the check. We didn't deposit it for a few months. We still have a large majority of it in the bank today because we didn't know what we were going to spend it on. And yeah, I mean, that funding was invaluable to us. You can't even put words on it. Um, We were just able this semester to hire some interns and, you know, we quite literally don't have $12,000 to throw at it. So it was the only way that that was possible. And it's really, really going to show and whenever we are able to make that process and eventually make money or raise money, I'm sorry. Um, So that, you know, it's really gap funding. If if anything else, it it gave us our first dollars. I worked on Revive for two years while spending 1500 bucks total over two years on it. So we were bootstrapping to the max Uh, of that 1500, 600 of it was for the shirts that I mentioned. We gave out to all the adventure challenge people. So really, you know, very, very minimal, the other 400 was like Shopify fees for 11 months. It's 30 bucks a month. And so spending nothing, uh, just doing everything ourselves. And what that allows us to do is finally build a team and, and teach them how to do, build everything themselves so we can continue to spend their money. Uh, but it, it was an amazing program. We got some press out of it. We got a, a article in the business report. Um, we actually, you know, more side effects. The article in the business report was like I guess found by some RSS feed that searches on keywords or something and somebody from a company called Fame House who does it's owned by one of the big three record labels and does like music marketing type stuff and basically this guy is the head of relationships he's the one who talks to Spotify and all of them and his job is to keep an eye on emerging tech and he reached out to us because he saw the article about us winning the venture challenge And so, you know, like I said, completely invaluable, great opportunity for us. And, um, you know, totally uh, gave us the momentum to be where we are today. Not only with the money, but like I said, with the validation, it was just round two of validation, seeing all your friends out there supporting you, um, you know, getting that press. You know, now we're, you know, we're not universal or anything, but people know about us on campus. We've got some brand recognition going and really, um, that gave us the fuel to the fire, you know. Dude, that's 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 awesome. I wanna I wanna take a step back because you said that you know you only spent like a thousand dollars or something bootstrapping this from day one. What what is your background? You know, where do you you're you're majoring in finance and mm-hmm. you get the pair degree with entrepreneurship. So clearly there's no IT or tech right there. Yeah. So what what do you where do you come from and what kind of is your background that, you know, pushed you into this technical app? Yeah. Um you know the the real answer to that is just the media, right? I'm a I'm a victim of the um, <coughs> the narrative in the media that is pushing, you know, the Zuckerbergs, the um, I don't know, I'm drawing blank on names, uh, but you know that Steve, the Steve Jobs, the Steve the Zuckerbergs. Jobs, uh, that's where that's what what has always inspired me. Is I you know from a young age I was I was good at doing things. I could I could master new things quickly. You know, I excelled in school, I excelled in sports and I never really, I never really felt like I couldn't do anything. I always had the mindset that I could do whatever I put my mind to. Um, and so hearing stories about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and 
and all of these people who, you know, just had a good idea and executed and, and were overnight success. I, I never saw why I couldn't do that. Right. And so it was only, um, you know, probably 10th or 11th grade where I, I started realizing more that, that that was the path I wanted to take. Um, whereas before that, I, you know, I always pictured myself climbing the corporate ladder somewhere, but you know, no matter what, I always pictured being in charge. I just knew, uh, you know, that I was a natural leader. I knew I was good at, at a variety of things. And so I don't want to be too much of a generalist, but I've always, you know, I have a math background in high school. That was my thing. I was really good at math. Um, that's kind of why I leaned towards finance uh, and, and really with the goal of being venture capital, right? I didn't want, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be around new ideas. Mainly. Um, and so really, I guess what I, what I learned is that I'm good at, you know, empathy. I'm good at sensing people's problems or understanding the situation. And whenever you apply that to kind of the the world or the current trends or markets, you, you're able to spot these inefficiencies or these. Uh, and so um, Revive wasn't my first um, idea, right? I have a long list of ideas and I never knew what to do, right? I, I knew I wanted to do something. And that was when, uh, you know, the first thing I did was a Bluetooth speaker website. We're going to call it Wild and Wireless. Set it all up on Shopify. I read uh, Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. And got obsessed with this passive income idea and I wanted to do all that. Um, and basically I built it, which I say I built it. I, I signed up for Shopify, integrated some drop shippers and bought a domain. That's all that you have to do to build this. And then realized now I have to become an expert in SEO, right? Or digital advertising. Uh, and I thought, well, I always knew, or I've always been um, excited about the idea of starting a tech company like probably be more worth my time to learn how to code than to learn SEO or digital marketing or marketing. I didn't think, you know, at that point I was a freshman marketing still buzzword to me. Yeah. So I just, I, uh, I'm a product of the digital age. I, I grew up my whole life on Google. You know, I used to, to brag to friends, like I'm the best Googler there is. I can find anything <laughs> on Google. I can learn anything on Google. Um, and I always just got so frustrated when people would like ask a question and be like, Hmm, I don't know. I wonder what this is. And they would just leave it at that. I'm like, you could search four words and have your answer. And so that's kind of where I, what my background was, was just figuring things out on Google and kind of teaching myself new things. Wow. So what you said in 10th or 11th grade, you knew you want to do something different. Can you remember back to a time where it was like either a click or just something that in your life happened or a thought that went through your head where you were like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to climb that corporate ladder. Yeah. I love new ideas. I've got a leader background. You know, I'm good in sports. I'm so driven. I want to go out and do something else. Yeah, I don't remember a specific, a specific moment or anything, but I do remember at that time in my life just always thinking like, I can't imagine not being able to get off work, like not being able to go do something because I can't get off work. Or, um, you know, that was like a, a thought I had a lot. Um, and that was one of the one of the things really just the idea of being my own boss. Um, I think that that probably resulted from school itself. I was, you know, I've always been a, a very bright student, but I haven't always been a good student. Um, and, and my teachers know that. And so I was always the, I was always the kid that the teachers didn't like because I would finish my work so fast and uh, talk to everyone and distract others. Or I would, you know, finish it and be goofing around, but there was nothing they could do about it because all the answers were right. And, 
or I would sleep in class and then make A's on the test. And that, that stuff just kind of grinds at teachers. And so I think that the, you know, bureaucratic nature of school, of just like being forced to do, you know, what I used to always say is like, I can math, right? I can do math and like do one or two problems and I know how to do it. But the, the structure of school is you have to do homework. You have to do 20 problems to prove you know how to do it. And that used to frustrate me so bad. It used to be like, since everyone else has to have 20 problems, I have to do 20 problems. And just that kind of thing like really aided me. The idea of how cookie cutter it was or how, um, you know, it, it didn't matter that I didn't need it. I had to do it, right? And I guess that kind of rubbed off on me and I started thinking of, of corporations like that. I started thinking of big companies or jobs in general like that, whereas, um, you know, it might not be necessary or it might not be beneficial, but you just have to do it because your boss said so. And that, I think that probably translated a little bit. Um, but, you know, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head. I do remember, I do remember specifically thinking one of the reasons, like, I can't imagine not being able to go to a concert or whatever because I can't get off work. Um, so just that, that element of having to do something for somebody else without you seeing the true value in what you were doing, like with the not math. Even just doing the true, it's not even just the true value. It's just like the, uh, I don't want to say empathy. I don't want to say lack of empathy, but. Um, the control maybe? It's just the control factor where, you know, if you, um, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. But just the, the idea of the only reason that I was in school, or, or let's just, let's use an easy example, right? That you take this test at school, in grade school, and they give you your reading level, right? And so, like, no one's is their own grade, right? If you're really bad at reading, it's below you, but, like, 1-5% of people are, like, at their reading level. And so, if I took a, a test in 6th or 7th grade and said I'm at 11th or 12th grade reading level, I'm still in English for the next six years. <laughs> yeah, you don't get bumped no up to 12th or 11th grade. other than that's the way it is. And, you know, like the ACT tells you that you're college ready. And we took it in 7th or 8th or ninth grade and it says we're college ready. But we're in high school for three more years for no more reason. And so this is kind of a weird way to look at it. But I think that that rubbed off on me into this kind of anti-establishment almost mentality where it's like, I don't want to do things just because that's the way it is. Or I don't want to do things because you just have to. Um, or I guess it's not even that. It's like I, I will do it. But whenever the other side isn't um, empathy, it doesn't have empathy. They're not considering the fact that, you know, like LSU right now, there's only a, a certain amount of excused absences. I, my girlfriend told me that her friend uh, is a pre-med student. So he's only at LSU so he can get into medical, medical school has a, a physics lab and he has a med school interview during the lab and they told him that's not an excused absence. And so that's an example of they're just going by the book, right? They're just looking at LSU's definition of excused absences and they're not thinking about the other party. And I guess, um, you know, if I had to say something like, I think that that resonates with me. Whereas if I, um, if I'm the boss or if I'm involved in a, a better company, like I said, it's not all companies that do that. To where, if I'm the boss, I can look at you, look at both sides of the situation, not just from the the corporate side, where it's like, no, that's just the way it is. You have to take your sick days, right? But there's sort of this standardization 
across with education, mm-hmm. with school, and with the general. Whenever somebody thinks of a corporate structure, yeah, it's you know you're you're, you're nine to five. Nobody thinks of oh corporate structure. You have the flexibility. You can work four tens. You can work you know four nine and yeah. a half. Yeah, see, like There's, that makes no sense to me. Like right, like. like so many people are just inherently not morning people or they're night owls. Like I, I used to, I've switched in high school. I got all my work done after 1am and now like I get everything done in the morning before people wake up. And so if I'm at school, neither of those times are at school hours. And it's just that lack of flexibility like makes no sense to me. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one angle that we could look at. of like why I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It's kind of a weird one, but, but really it boils down to the, the fact that I said earlier, I always, I always felt that inside of me. I always felt like I could do anything I put my mind to. Um, and it never it never seemed unattainable. Um, and so, you know, I had this list of ideas where I knew I wanted to do one one day. I just didn't know what. And that one day I looked at them and there were six music ideas on there. I was like, we should probably do something in music. Yeah, we probably combine some of these. Probably a good um, uh, inclination towards the music industry. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I, that's, that's how it all got started. I looked at it and then I built this, huge app in my head that was like Facebook now for music and had to go through these processes to realize, you know, Facebook couldn't have built Facebook as it is today. Or Amazon couldn't have built today's Amazon the first try, right? They had to build one thing. Facebook built a news feed and friends. Amazon built a bookstore. And if you can prove that one thing works, then you can build the rest of it. And so that's the that's the customer discovery process that I, I learned through Andy Moss's class and really made me focus on this uh switching apps problem. Um but, you know, I said that I always felt it in me that I could do it. You know, that's until you try. Yeah. Uh, that, that mindset changed pretty quick. Come month seven, or eight, seven or eight, where I was like, what did I get myself into? But, um, yeah, I mean, it feels right. Um, yeah, I mean, and going back to what you said about, you know, how Facebook, the first thing I started with was with the news feed and with friends. And, you know, Amazon was just a bookstore right off the bat. And Revive, like you said, is going through four different variations of the initial app that you wanted it to be. I think that's something that every company or every startup or even every entrepreneur is going to experience in their life is this fact of your first product is not always going to be your end product that you're going to, yeah. you know, that you're going to essentially monetize or it's even it's like going to evolve. Almost impossible. It's like close to 95, 98%, I would say. That right. It's right. going to evolve. And, um. You know, the best class I've taken in college, I'll say it a hundred times, is Andy Moss's customer discovery class. I um I wasn't even ready for it at the time and during the class I didn't get out if I would retake it again today, I'd get so much more out of it. But as I progressed, it's just by far the most uh relevant class to actually doing entrepreneurship. Right. Um, and and what that class teaches you is to, you know, ask questions, right? The, the core of the, the customer development process is the business model canvas where you have, you know, nine hypotheses for each of the building blocks and you go out to test them. But that's kind of the side point, right? That's that's the goal. But the real takeaway is just learning how to talk to customers and talk to partners and talk to employees and ask the right questions. So, um, you know, the biggest thing that stuck with me is that, like, if you ask people, they're going to say yes, you know. If I ask people, don't you hate switching between Spotify and SoundCloud? They're going to say yes. Everyone's going to say yes. Whether it's out of pity or whether they don't understand the question or anything like that, uh, you can't get good data asking that question. So really, the biggest takeaway is just ask the right questions. So for me, if I say, do you listen to music? And they say, yeah. 
I said, oh, cool. What, what streaming service do you use? They say SoundCloud or Spotify. I'm like, oh, that's cool. What made you choose Spotify? And then I, then I get some information on what makes a good streaming service. And yeah. I say, oh, well, is that the only app you use? Do you use any other apps? Um, you can kind of see the ones who don't because they're like, what? They're like, why would I use another app? Uh, but the ones who do are like, yeah, I mean, I have YouTube, but I, I use SoundCloud. I'm like, oh, why do you use SoundCloud? I know the answer. Um, but that's not the point, right? Point is to get them to, to tell you the information without putting the words in their mouth. I'm like, oh, why do you use SoundCloud? Well, it has some songs on here um, that aren't on Spotify. Or, oh, my friend's music is on here. Or um, they have this one Drake remix, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, oh, okay, how often do you use it? Um, not that often, you know, once a month, something like that. Well, why not? Uh, I don't know. I just don't really like switching. Well, bam. Well, then I, you know, they told me they have the problem without me putting the words into their mouth and that. That information is a hundred thousand times more valuable than, um, you know, asking the wrong questions. And I think that that was like the biggest game changer for me is understanding that process and the just understanding the way to ask the right questions to really dig into the problem where the customer doesn't even know what your app is, right? So I, every time I talk to an artist now, I talk about them. I get them to tell me their story services they use, the problems they have, everything. And then they're like, well, are you going to tell me what repo is? I'm like, yeah, after. Yeah, you need, you have to you have to understand both the artist and the end user as to what their struggles are mm-hmm. before you can explain your product. And I think yeah. that was how you phrased it was perfectly. If I ask you, do you hate, do you hate this bad situation? Yes. Everybody's going to say Everybody yes. Everybody says yes. And you're going to get no value out of anything like that. And so that having that class at LSU that yeah. Annie's teaching, I think is going to be huge for the next generation of people. And that's one of the ones where uh, most of the companies are at the wrong stage. And that's something I think that they're working on to where if they put that at the right spot in the curriculum like i said it, even with with revive i wasn't at the right stage yet and it, it helped us a lot but now it would help us even more and he teaches things like a b ad testing right uh to see your messaging so if you if i if i can name four or five value propositions of revive i need to see which one's the most effective and maybe different ones are more effective for different customer segments and they taught he taught testing and how to figure that stuff out and how to say you know for me um the biggest the biggest problem for us is, is customer acquisition cost. Uh, it's imperative that we know our customer acquisition cost. And the way to figure that out is to go run these small scale tests where I can spend $50 on whatever platforms I'm going to advertise on. And if I get one person, then I know it's $50 a user. Or maybe I get 10 and I know it's $5 a user. And you can do those small scale tests to really prove out uh, way more of these hypotheses than you would expect. And, and I, you know, I've been... It's been on my list to meet with him again because, you know, I ended up interning with him. We're really close. But like I said, just as I go, it just keeps applying more and more. And that's a really, really uh, beneficial class. But the questions part was was so big because I see so many people struggling with that. Um, and not just the, the phrasing of the questions, but understanding that you have to ask questions. You know, I know people that have dreamt up an idea built it and launched it and they didn't even ask anyone if, if it was a big problem and there, there's books all about that where that's kind of the old methodology the the waterfall approach where you say you know some executive somewhere like i think we should build a new printer and they spend six months planning it out and the plans are going to take two years and they build it for two years and then they cook up a marketing scheme and then in two years they say hey everyone we built this new printer everyone's like who cares i have a printer 
Yeah. Uh, whereas if they would have just went out and said, hey, what's wrong with your printer? Or, you know, that's a bad question that I was just talking about. But if they would have went out and understood that um, printers are going out of style, scanners are the new fad. Right. Or anything like that, uh, it's really, really beneficial. And I just see it. I see it happening with, with people that ask me ideas. You know, whenever someone comes up to me and they're like, I have a new idea, I can ask them three questions about it. And it's already broke the idea. And I don't do that to be mean. I do that to, to help them and to show them how else to do it. Now, whether they take it as mean or help is their own problem. Uh, but if they would have just asked their friends, you know, three simple questions, they would have already ruled out the idea. Right. And that's where that, that's lacking. Yeah. And that's, I find that that's lacking with, you know, a lot of people, and I'm sure I've experienced this myself, is the fact of asking the questions before getting started. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, everybody jump in, jump in, jump in, but it's like, okay, jump in. But on that jump down, you need to be asking people like while you're falling, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? Get as many ideas as you can. And then you can kind of angle where you're going to go with it. And that is, I'm, I'm super excited to hear that they're doing that at LSU and teaching that yeah. course. It's a great class. It's a, like I said, um, it's got to be at the right stage because whenever I was taking he was like, call Apple and ask them, ask Spotify. And, you know, I was a junior, I was 20 years old, and I had an idea, and Spotify was not going to answer the phone. Neither was Apple. We had a company that was doing something for police officers, and they were like, go talk to the police chief. Uh, and so, like I said, the, the ideology, the methodology stuck with me. I use it every day. It's crazy because... I did ask some big questions, you know. I haven't been able to reach the, the biggest of the big, but Audio Mac, which is uh, SoundCloud's probably biggest competitor right now, they're gaining tons of steam. I, I talked to the CEO there, and it was it was just reaching out. Um, so it's a great class. That's that's great. So outside of LSU and the university, in the Baton Rouge ecosystem, you know, we talked about Brew, we talked about Adventure Challenge, so you got that press, and that really helped boost you. But outside of the university, are you seeking anything within the Baton Rouge environment or ecosystem or kind of yeah. just keeping it at the university level? So Innovation Park's kind of weird because they're not exactly the university, but they are. But I wouldn't – I would consider them part of the university. Uh, and Innovation Park really, now that Kenny's gone, is more just the home of the student incubator, which sounds cooler than it is. It's three cubicles, and I'm lucky enough to have one. So we have a little cubicle out there. Um, but really – the tech park is a great resource. Uh, I'm trying to utilize it more. We just met with them two weeks ago for the first time. And I don't know too much about them, but they were definitely helpful and they definitely know a lot of people and they're going to make some connections. Um, Innovation Catalyst is a nonprofit venture capital fund here. And I've heard a lot about them. I know a lot of people that worked with them and they were there on my list to reach out to. Um, trying to talk to a guy named Bill Ellison, who I've heard great things about. I think he's going to be a big help to us. Um, but really, you know, that's where I'm at right now is I'm trying to discover that. So I don't think that I have the best answer for you. I think maybe next year I will. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest realizations I had is that at, at the beginning, uh, you know, two years ago, I was out trying to do that. I was out asking everyone and I was trying to find help from everyone. And, um, you know, I just realized that I had to do it. I had to buckle down and build something and give them a reason to talk to me. Or, And and that was a big kind of turning point where I realized that I felt like some accelerator was just going to bail me out. Or if I just had this investor, I'd be fine. And that feeling is something that probably a lot of us have. And I think that 
Um, what that is, is just excuses. You're just making excuses for yourself. And so once I really realized that, like I said, we buckled down and me and Riley, you know, built it. And now we're to the point where uh, we can kind of flip the script, right? We're kind of 180 and now it's worth going out and talking to people and these people can help us and they do have contacts that'll help us. And we, we can take some money maybe, or, or um, you know, we do have the financials they want to see or the pitch deck and we have all that stuff. So we're really more ready. And so now I've switched modes again and now I'm trying to focus less on the internal stuff and really go, you know, utilize that network and meet everybody and see how everyone can help me and, and lean on them a little bit. And so I think that I would have a better answer for you in the future. Okay. Uh, but as of now, I think that it's there. It's it's there and growing, um, but it's not perfect. Right. And it, it almost it almost sounds like with, you know, kind of having you're just what you just laid out is you weren't ready at a time because you didn't have that pitch deck. Right. You didn't have that slide. You didn't have your financials ready. Yeah, we, would have, we wouldn't have done any good. We would have just made ourselves look silly, really. Right. We talk to some of these kind of big shots. And so um, that that's definitely my advice is that, you know, not to say don't reach out or not to say don't do any of that, but uh, you'll know when you're ready. Like, right. We knew where we, we had the beta out and we were like, this thing's getting real. And we are not being that realistic. We need some people that have been there before. Like we need advice from real people. Investors aren't going to talk to us until we have advisor boards. We need to find advisors. And so, you know, it was, it was much better being pulled into it than pushing, right? Rather than breaking down doors and saying, I'm Kane, I have a great idea. Talk to me. It was much better whenever it was like, I need your help, please. Right. For this reason. Because here's what I'm doing and here's what I've been doing and here's what I want to do. You're able to articulate your problem mm-hmm. in a way that they could actually offer right. some guidance. So for for example, you used to be like, hey, can we talk? I have this idea. And now it's like we have a venture capital connection, an innovation catalyst, and we have financial projections that we need to work on. And that makes sense, right? We went to the tech park and we were like, here's where we're struggling at. We need to meet angel investors. We don't know any. We need to have everything ready for angel investors. We don't know what they're looking for. We need to... We're building this product and we've never built anything this big and we don't know what it what it really takes. We don't know if we're being realistic with ourselves. And so they hooked us up with some designer, some app developers that we're meeting with Friday. And there's just to go over, you know, what we're doing and making sure we're doing things that other developers do, right? Because like I said, we learn through Google and there's a disconnect between the online community and the real world sometimes. And so all of my marketing research, all of my marketing stuff, all my projections are based off Google articles, which are cool. But if those Google articles are based in China or Silicon Valley, who's to know if that applies to Baton Rouge, Louisiana? Um, and I can assure you that for in regards to fundraising, it doesn't um, because it's, it's different cultures, it's different networks, it's different things they look for. And so, you know, I had a big problem explaining the concept of virality of going viral right everyone hears the word but no one really knows the science behind it and that's kind of a big underlying uh, assumption in our model is this this viral nature of some of our features and so if we go and explain that or pitch that to someone who has made their whole career in the restaurant industry in louisiana they have no idea what we're talking about um, and that's helped us i mean it hurt for a while but it's helped us really articulate everything that we're doing and knowing where our gaps are and so that's where we're at is, um, you know, finding those real world mentors who have just done similar things. Anyone from the music industry to venture capitalists who've seen high tech growth um, to entrepreneurs who have been through it. Right. And so that's where we're at. And we 
that's why I said that brew was such a great experience for us because we were in that mode and it had all of those people in there, right? We met um, the the mentor that, that I'd mentioned is going to be so much help to us. And yeah, so it, it's coming. That's good. Um, so as we're, we're starting to kind of wrap up the show here, what what is something that you wish you could change in either the Baton Rouge environment and ecosystem that's here or within the LSU ecosystem? Like if you had one thing to change, what would it be? I think it's the, the, all right, obviously everyone would love more money, right? Everyone would love all <laughs> these free opportunities for money and competitions and uh, investors just throwing around millions like it like I always felt like there were in Silicon Valley but uh right. something but something feasible right. that's here what I'm saying. I don't Baton think that Rouge, that's a, a yeah. good answer um but I'd really like to see the curriculum uh develop more which I, I like I said I see it happening like it, it is under the process um and I hope that they are kind of introspective and outward looking right like I think that hearing the experience of people like me and people that have went through it not only the classes, but through starting the business in this ecosystem and really listening, just to make sure that that structure is right to where, um, you know, the progressions works right. And the, the gates are there. Um, we, I went to the SEC pitch competition and was able to talk to some of the other people about what they have going on at their school. And, and one that stuck with me was Mississippi state. Their curriculum is attached to a, um, I don't even know how to say it, funding cycle essentially. Like, you know, if you come and you have an idea, they'll give you 500 bucks once you have a business plan. And you can use that 500 bucks to do whatever. And then the next requirement is, uh, you know, MVP or product design or something. And then you get $2,000. And then and it progresses, you get 2,000, 5,000. I don't know the numbers, but it was like 500, 2,000 something. And at the end of the program, once they've deemed you ready, you pitch to the, the Starkville and Angel, Angel Investor Network. And they walk you through it, and then it culminates in that chance to have an investor um, to invest in you. And that's where you know our structure isn't there yet. I think that it's coming. I think it's moving that way. Um, uh, I just heard some exciting news about the Nolan Angel Investor Group, some of the things they're doing. And so it's coming. Um, but that's that's what I would like to see is really to, to make sure that support system's there to where people aren't wondering around like, oh, I have this idea for the rest of their life. Um, because I think that I think that if you asked every student at LSU, a, a pretty nice percentage of them would say, yeah, I have a good idea or I have an app idea. Um, and just you know, some type of way for them to at least feel like they tried or know where to start. Right. Um, and that. not just know where to start, but if, it, if it's doing okay to, to continuously progress along and culminate, like I said, in that demo day where – you know, I, I've said this many times to the, uh, the department and the people that are in charge, and I think that they're thinking the right way, and they're working through it, and it's just a little harder said than done sometimes. Um, but that's, that's what I would like to see. You know, if I was, was going to come back and invest my time and money into improving it, that's what I would need to see is I need to see that it's, it's able to get this freshman who came out of high school with an idea, or, you know, I say freshman because – every freshman gets to college and they don't know what to expect. And then there's something that doesn't meet their expectations. There's some problem they're having and they're like, why is this not, why is this happening? And so that's why I think freshman is a good stage to teach them how to think of ideas and spot them and develop them and then progress through it to where by the senior year, you know, um, they've went through the whole process. So even if nothing came of it, they know where to start next time they have an idea. Right. And, they they have, and maybe they had their chance at getting investment 
Yeah. And they have, they've been given those tools while at the university to maybe go out and do something with that in the real world. Yeah. So what is something that I can do to help you? Make this podcast get about (laughs) 5 million views and put the link to my website under it. I'm kidding. Um, You know, you have an accounting background. I have no books. So if I had to point to one thing, uh, I'm bad about taxes. Uh, I have to file this form every month that says zero sales, zero everything. And it's just a waste of five minutes. So I do it every like six months, which is fine right now. But that's going to that's going to come back to bite me in the butt. Um, But there's definitely going to be some that's going to get more complicated for sure. Um, I've made a budget. I've made 100 budgets. They're okay. They're not great. Um, So really, I think that you're your experience would be able to help me not only like maintain books or, or get those in order, know what I need to do in regards to taxes and everything like that. But um, I think that seeing a lot of books, right. If you've seen a lot of other people's accounts, um, one of my problems is I always feel like I'm leaving something out, right. I make these really detailed financial projections and it has like six lines for costs. And I'm like, there's no way we only have six costs, right? Yeah. What else can I add to these projections to make them more? And the guy I've been talking about at brew, he said that, his pro formas had 300 lines on them. And I was like, if you could just send me that, delete all the numbers out of it. Just send me the 300 items you had on there. That'll like change my life. Because that's one of the big things is I'm like, I don't know what's going to pop up, right? I obviously know that we're going to have to pay people. I know we're going to have to market and spend on ads. I know that there's going to be some cloud infrastructure costs, you know, maybe some rent or like legal expenses. Um, but it's really, really hard to know what's going to pop up. And, and especially as you're growing, I mean, like I said, we've never done this before. And so that's that's probably something that uh, seeing other people's accounts, you know, maybe you have some information there. Yeah, and that's that's definitely something that I'd be more than happy yeah. to help you with and help on that side of things. So we're definitely going to do – we're going to try the first one yeah. of getting 5 million people to listen to this podcast. The second one is going to be it for sure. We're going to link everything that you've got, all social, all fan pages, a link to the app, yeah. uh, maybe a link if you have for people to sign up to be beta Absolutely, testers. Yeah. It's revive.tech. It's right there on the homepage. It says sign up now in your email address, and uh, that's all we got for now. It's private beta right now for the mobile app, and we are hoping by the end of the year to make that public beta. And the, the artist portal, uh, artists can use that same email address field and we'll, we'll be able to uh, notify you when it's time to, to create your artist account. Uh, but we're hoping that will happen in the next couple of weeks where you can host your music on Revive and, and stream it with the beta testers. Well, perfect. Uh, thank you, Kane, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. It's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you got to prioritize everything. So that coming out here means a lot. I want to say thank you for that. I appreciate you having me. It went very well. Absolutely. So everybody listening, uh, this is the Patty G Show. I'm Patty G. We are signing out. And see you next time. Thank you so very much for listening to the Patty G Show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy day to give this show a listen. If you enjoyed the episode and want to help us out, be sure to click that share button. Like the Facebook page and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And with the show constantly growing, we are continuously looking for new guests to come on and share their unique story. If you or someone you know would be a perfect candidate for the show, be sure to reach out to us through the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Patty G Show. And finally, I hope that this show inspires you in some way 
to get out of that everyday muck we call the comfort zone and try something new, whether that be starting a new business or even taking up a new hobby. Just go on out there and give it a whirl. We got one life. Let's live it to the fullest we can. And if there is anything that I can do to help you with that, be sure to reach out to me through the Facebook page. I'm here to try and help as many people as I can get one step closer to achieving their goal. Now you go out and have a fantastic day. I'm Patty G. Thank you so very much for listening. Thank you.